0: Welcome to Brand Me. I'm Preston Conrad, and on this show, we'll talk all things branding, from launching a product line to owning your side hustle. We'll talk to the movers, the shakers, the thought leaders. What do you say we finally stop focusing on brands X, Y, and Z, and focus on brand me? Let's start the show. Today's episode is brought to you by my brand, Preston Conrad Home. Living a stylish life does not have to be overly complicated or expensive. The magic of home decor is really made through the fun finishing touches, which quite too often come with big box middlemen and luxury brand price tags. With Preston Conrad Home, everybody can now inject major style into their space with minimal effort and no furniture shopping required with our new luxury home fragrance collection. Just in time for fall, you can choose from five stunning luxury candle scents all made in America or our new hand wash collection, both of which will instantly transport yourself to another world while transforming your space at the very same time. As a listener of today's show, you can take 10% off of your purchase of any single item on Preston Conrad Home using the offer code BRANDME. That's PrestonConradHome.com, offer code BRANDME. Hey, everybody. On today's episode, I'm joined by Joey Suchadolski. Joey is a publicist and consultant based in New York City, and I wanted to have him on to talk about when and why it's the right time to bring on a publicist to help get the word out about your brand or your personal brand. Joey gives a lot of insight about what the press field is like these days, what sort of placements will do for different areas of your business or your brand. And I think you'll find this conversation really helpful, especially if you're looking to start something or maybe you have just started something, you're gonna find a lot of gems in this episode. So take a seat, grab your coffee. And coming up is Joey Sejotolsky. Hi, Joey, how are you?
1: I'm well, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm good. I think this is so funny because you're like one of the, 10 million, the people I've had on this podcast who I talk to on the regular right. and then have to talk to professionally here on the podcast. So thanks for joining.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Guys, I, I said this at the top, but Joey is a whiz publicist here in New York. He's one of those guys, you know, when you watch those movies or TV shows about New York and there's always a publicist that you know, is like double kissing with everybody when they go to a party. That's Joey. Everybody knows Joey. Um, and that's how we met, right? We kind of met yeah. just through the PR world.
1: Yeah. I yeah. think it was back. I I forget what agency I was at, but I think maybe it was UGG or, or one of the brands that I was working with at this time. Um, we did something together or I sent you some product or something like that. I always remember you used to help me get into the shows. Oh yeah. <laughs> when I would oh, yeah. be like
0: in a line of people outside to be like, girl, come over this. Gotta guy. pull in my favorites. <laughs> yeah. But um I what I didn't mention earlier is that Joey actually is a publicist that works with us at Preston Conrad Home. And <clears throat> I figured I'd been wanting to do an episode on publicity. And I'm like, well, obviously I got to bring in part of the family. Yeah. And I want to ask you before we get into all the details about what press can do for you and your brand, how the hell did you get into this world of PR? It's like so elusive.
1: It is, it is pretty elusive. I mean, it's interesting. Some people kind of have a direct track into it. Some people kind of stumble upon it. Um, I was a competitive figure skater for 15 years. And through that, I was exposed to the media. I did media training. So I kind of at a very early age had this like, uh, immersive experience with the world of media. Um, always loved fashion. Um, I certainly can't draw to save my life. And I can barely add to save my life. So any kind of creative aspect of, of, of fashion or kind of any mathematical buying type, you know, avenue was yeah. certainly out for me. Um, but I've been always really good, um, you know, with writing and communicating. And I think that that's an area that I certainly have excelled in uh, for, you know, forever, basically. Um, so it just kind of seemed like a natural fit. I, I, ha- I was very like, I'm going to be a fashion publicist. And I was like, you know, 17.
0: And you're so personable. I imagine that's like uh, one of the things that has to come along with the job is being willing to willing and ready to socialize with everybody at all times. Exactly.
1: For sure. But also, you know, the flip side of it is, is you do kind of have to have a pretty strong backbone. Uh, It certainly isn't an easy industry. And and you do have to say no a lot. You know, there are things that you have to say no to people that you have to say no to. Um, You know, there's a lot of negotiating involved. So yeah, it's 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 being personable and, and saying no with a smile.
0: Were you always in-house? Because I knew you because before you went on your own, you were you were um, you were like Mr. Corporate agency yeah. guy.
1: I've done both. I've been in-house um, and I've worked at agencies. I've worked at leading agencies, worked with high end fashion brands, um, did, you know, many years in in Milan Fashion Week, London Fashion Week um, and then in-house at super corporate brands as well. So pretty vast and varied background. What do you like more? Um, it kind of all depends on the brand if I'm being very honest, but I think definitely the consulting and in-house side of Mm -hmm. things is much more um, appealing to me just because you get to be a little bit more, not even a little bit, quite a bit more involved with a brand in all kind of aspects of it. Um, You know, a lot of times when you're in an agency, for better or worse, you're kind of, you're an executor. So you're kind of executing the press strategy, you're just pitch, pitch, pitching, Um, you're executing the event, and, you know, the brands are typically coming to you with their strategy. And obviously, you know, there's not that, you know, being in an agency isn't very strategic in a lot of ways, but it can be a little bit uh, cookie cutter in a lot of ways. Um, whereas if I'm consulting or if I'm in-house, I kind of have that opportunity to look at, well, how does advertising align with influencer, align with PR, align with events, align with what's coming down the pipeline in mm-hmm. a year or two years, even five years, you know, and kind of being able to kind of have a, a voice in setting that strategy so that everything's really, uh, cohesive. Yeah, actually. So
0: I it made me realize... We never really – what what for those listening who aren't in our world, which I just assume at this point everyone's in our world, but there are so many people that listen everyone's to this. Everyone's in maybe, our world,
1: but also everyone's listening. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what is the
0: main job of a publicist?
1: That's the thing. It varies every day. My job can be very different from day to day, which is great because it keeps things exciting. And and that's what I love about what I do. And and what I love about PR is that no day is ever going to be exactly the same. There's not a lot of that like redundancy in what your day to day looks like. But I would say, you know, if you're looking at what is the true kind of cornerstone of PR, it's earned media coverage. So getting press coverage, whether it be print, whether it be digital, getting that in an earned way through my relationships and my outreach with the media You know, but again, there's a lot that falls under the umbrella of PR. You know, it's events. We just had a great event with you not that long ago in your studio where we brought together some top editors to meet and greet and check out your newest launches. Um, So it's executing events. It could be, you know, it could be very much that, or it could be, um, you know, a brand or a client wants to uh, gift 20 top tier influencers or do an influencer program and it's paid and it's negotiating the contract. So that's the kind of interesting thing is that, you know, there's, there's... there's always a lot of variation in what my day-to-day looks like. But I think, you know, the true kind of cornerstone to, of what the PR industry is and what I do is, is earned media coverage.
0: It's so funny because it must have rapidly changed so, so much, much from the days of just good old print, your top five books, magazines, yep. to now what you just described, influencer, personalities. It's it, I can't
1: imagine. It's wild. I mean, I I still joke with some of like you know my friends in the industry, and we'll joke about like when I started, GQ had an editor who only covered eyewear.
0: <laughs> the good old days the for eyewear. print, just the eyewear, eyewear for
1: print. Yeah, um, and then oh, wow. Vanity Fair infamously had a hats and belts editor.
0: Oh God, what a dream!
1: <laughs> so those days are long gone. Yeah, um, you know, and and you know, I've certainly, I've been in the industry for a while. I've been in the industry, you know, longer than 12 years, but, you know, we're also, this is, we're not talking like 25 years ago. We're talking like, you know, eight years ago, Vanity Fair had a hats and belts out of her, Um, you know, and it's changed so rapidly. And now, you know, print media, I will never ever say that print media is dying or will ever be dead, but it certainly has changed and evolved a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, editors, quite frankly, are stretched, I think, thinner than ever, both yeah. print and, and digital as well. I think, you know, we've seen over the years kind of the condensation um, at a lot of the larger publishing houses. So, you know, Hearst has some editors that cover uh, men's throughout the whole portfolio of brands. So they'll kind of, you know, call in for Men's Health, for Esquire. If, you know, one of the women's focused publications is is including a male model, they'll call on for that. and on you Know, on the digital side of things you know again you know eight even five years ago you know you had editors that covered beauty that covered accessories that covered ready-to-wear fashion and now they're covering it all they're kind of yeah. you know really you know i i kind of you know i don't envy uh them but it also makes it difficult more difficult for the publicists as well
0: i can't imagine well it's also because a lot i mean the industry shift, a lot of people like, not, not saying myself, but a lot of people became their own editors in totally. having their own Instagram pages and putting That's out true. their own content, these own editorials, which leads me to my next question, right? Like personal brands becoming product lines. I'm one of yeah. many people who have decided to finally launch a business or launch yeah. a brand. And it takes a lot of work. But when is the point for a new brand or a personal brand to, to say, you know what, we need maybe a publicist. Like, when is that point? How do you know when it's right?
1: You know, I think, honestly, at this point, in the way that the media landscape is, and this is not something that I would have said even maybe two or three years ago, but I honestly think it's at the inception of the brand, maybe even before the brand launches at this point, Mm -hmm. because the media landscape has changed so much and there is so much that kind of falls under the umbrella of PR, marketing, advertising, communications as an umbrella, um, yeah. I really think the best time, and, and it's certainly, you know, it's never too late, but I think the best time is really, you know, when a brand is launching because- that in and of itself is such a moment. The brand launch is so important and how, you know, that's your first first kind of interaction, your first kind of um, introduction to the consumer and to the industry. So I think you really want to have, um, you know, really kind of have everything tied up and put a bow on that when you're having your kind of first interaction with the consumer.
0: It's so funny because I, I don't think we started working together right when i launched but it wasn't yeah. far after it was like it was pretty yeah. soon after but looking yeah. back at it i remember on launch day i'm sitting here at this very computer with david from my team and we were yeah. like we hit the button yeah. and like a lot happened but it's not like some someone like came out of the walls and gave me like a cake i mean it was there was Correct. no like massive explosion but thinking about if we had an adjoining article that launched sure. at that same time yeah. what the impact could have been like totally. so that makes a lot of sense, maybe even ahead of time, launching the brand. Yeah,
1: and, yeah, and I think, you know, kind of going back to to editors and, and you know, how much they have on their plate, too, is uh, the process has become longer in a lot of ways, even on the digital side, like five, you know, six, seven years ago. you know, I could pitch an an editor or something. And, and, you know, if they were interested, it would go up in a day or two. That still happens to a certain degree. But even now, the digital kind of editorial calendars and the stories that they're doing are planned out so much more in advance. It used to be like, I would be, you know, I would tell people that, you know, we need two weeks heads up. And now I'm like, Love to have two months. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know, and, and I can work with whatever. Um yeah. but, you know, it, it, it's also gotten um, you know, they're they're busier and, and they're they're needing to turn out more and more content more than right. ever. Um, which, which you could be know, a good thing influencer. because
0: they need more to write about, right? So for Correct. all these new brands coming into this the space, it could be a good thing that the cycle changes so quickly because there's always room for more brands to be written about.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: For sure. What um I feel like speaking of more brands cr- and you tell me if I'm going crazy. Do you think that brands now because everything's so cluttered and there's so many Instagram brands and so many D2C brands and so many old mm-hmm. brands that are reinventing and there's just a yeah. lot of fucking noise and like I'm yeah. just like hi I'm just trying to sell my candles please. Right. Um do you think brands like mine or like someone who may be listening is launching something need to be make even more bigger noise? Or is there something to just like a really good story? Like, does it have to be flashy and crazy and stunty?
1: You know, I think it all depends on what what that person or that brand's key objective is. I think there's something to be said for both, quite frankly. Um, I think, you know, clear, concise, consistent messaging is always going to work. But, you know, the flip side of that is, it may not always work quickly because it may take a while for things yeah. to kind of catch on for editors to kind of, you know, familiarize themselves with the brand, see the the name of the brand or the name of the company in their inbox and be like, OK, yeah, this is cool. This is something I want to feature. Slow and steady is always going to win the race. But again, depending on what your objective is, you know, big and flashy is big and flashy, you know, in yeah. that 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 if that's what you if you want to kind of blanket the market you know, in a kind of, you know, overnight, you, you kind of have to be a little bit big and flashy.
0: What do you think about, um, I have so many friends just in the business who, it's like a, you know, I'm sure publicists hate people talking about this, but people being like, oh, I don't, PR is the one thing I can't like track, you know, I can't track it. I, I Who knows what I got out of PR? Like, you know, all my friends in the business, everyone says this stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Because I value, when I see my name in Forbes, And my picture in Forbes like, I can't put a value on that, right? Like, to me, that's like invaluable. Like, I'm going to frame it. But um, for someone debating getting into using a publicist, working with a publicist to get the name out, how do you kind of coach them off that ledge of like,
1: well, I don't get to see how many clicks and this and that? I'm honest with them. It is, you know, public relations, PR, it is, it's a gray area. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is that element of PR that is just not tangible that other aspects of business are. Um, I think, you know, it's important to create benchmarks. It's important to look at, you know, what are key outlets for a brand that we know work. Um, you know, and I always say, you know, to prospective clients, like I can't, I'm not going to promise you unless you're coming to me and saying, you know, you have X amount of money in advertising dollars and we can go into, you know, a Hearst or a Condé Nast or a Modern Luxury and advertise. I can't guarantee you anything. This is earned. Like, yes, you're paying me. I can't tell you what your ROI is going to be. All I can tell you is that I know PR works. Yeah. Um, and it's worked for a long time. <laughs> it's worked for a long time. There is a track record there. There's a reason why there are publicists, right? Um, but I'm just honest with people, you know, when we can look at, I always say too, and- I'm sure I've said this to you many times. Like, you know, you can look at an at an outlet like Forbes that has like over 100 million UVPM per month. So, and for any listener that doesn't know, that's the YouTube I was going to say what does that per mean? Unique <laughs> 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 viewers per month. So, how many kind of like fresh new eyes are on a on a particular digital outlet? And then, you know, you can have that that doesn't necessarily move the needle because maybe you know, 75 million of those eyes are completely uninterested in what it is or whatever. And sometimes it's the outlets that have two, three, 400,000 that I see brands sell out of a product if it's featured. And again, that also is hard to kind of, um, you know, prepare for until you actually see that happen. And I, you know, I always, I I tell a lot of clients and prospective, um, you know, entrepreneurs and people thinking about starting a brand, like I look at press as kind of, you know, your stock portfolio, you want it to be this like well diversified fund, you want to have your traditional print media, you want to have your top tiers, your vogue.com, your GQs.com, and then you want to have some more niche publications. And then we evaluate what is working and what isn't and where we're kind of seeing a return from yeah. and, and kind of shape a strategy from there.
0: That's such a good way to think about it, like your little stock portfolio. I mean, yeah. the other thing worth noting is like when all these people trying to really cr- track ROI on, on PR, it's like you look at like what getting on Oprah's list could do for a brand, right? Like that's sure. PR. I mean, PR. well, in the early days it was. Now there may be a little more of like integrations and stuff with like affiliates. Um, you mean how affiliates... every,
1: every uh, yeah. product of Oprah's favorite thing this year had to be available on Amazon.com? Right. Like, it's getting narrower. No shade, but but just, again, the evolution of kind of the industry.
0: Right. But if you think about what it originally did as just a pure press play for a no-name brand, I mean, the value there is, like, immeasurable, right?
1: 1,000%. And those moments, unfortunately, are, like, more few and far between than they used to be because there has been such an integration with yep. advertising and affiliates and all of that, because I remember those moments with brands and, you know, what a Wall Street Journal article could do or an Oprah, you know, could do or a GQ cover could do. And like, you know, it's, it you know, I hate to be like, well, do that anymore. Days is, you know, but it is, it's changed.
0: Well, also like what you wanted from a GQ cover now maybe is like what you want from the guy on like Summer House, right? That you see on Instagram. Like they're so different. Like, I mean, we're getting the exposure on Instagram and TikTok so frequently. I mean, the other way to look at it, what do you think? I always look at PR for a a brand, a personal brand, a product line as something to help you fuel your end goal, right? So like for me, or maybe someone like me who wants to go raise capital, Mm -hmm. I think it's great to say publication X, Y, Z gave us their stamp of approval. Like maybe it's not to instantly move products. Don't you think Do you ever need to tell people that it's not about selling goods from this article, but maybe that's not the point of this.
1: No, all the time. And I think it kind of goes back to the analogy of like the well diversified, you know, stock portfolio is like, I've always said like, You know, sometimes it's that GQ placement that moves the needle, but oftentimes it not necessarily is. Maybe it's, you know, an inside hook, maybe it's a valet or a smaller, more niche-targeted online outlet that is actually going to move the needle. So we need to have all of it, right? Like we need to reach out and get all those things. But I think to your point, when you're looking at – and also, too, for brands that are looking to wholesale – Press coverage is very important to know that there Mm. is an editorial um, fashion community or lifestyle community or whatever, you know, whatever space you fall into, that those editors and those publications are buying into the product puts the buyers at a Bloomingdale's, at a Nordstrom, at a Neiman Mm. Marcus or the independent, um, you know, stores, that puts them at ease knowing that Mm. there's that credibility there.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like those the a trade-off of the stamp of approval like bloomingdale's makes you approval approved but so does Ford. like they kind of like work hand in hand a little bit exactly exactly right what are your thoughts on um i know i struggle with this and you know i know many people that listen that maybe just started something and maybe they're hand making something maybe they've got really limited quantity they spent so much money trying to buy their first hundred whatever yeah But then they hear from someone like a publicist or an advisor that they need to send out 500 influencer gifts. What are your thoughts on that and how important it is?
1: You know, I think there is a certain importance there. But I think it then it goes kind of back to, you know, your point about what is the long-term strategy. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something that I found with brands. Is that, and that's why I think it can be really beneficial to bring on PR at the inception pre launch, is so that you have someone who can manage your expectations and can tell you, like, you know, this is what we're going to need to do to achieve this. And if we can't, that's okay. But then we have to manage expectations and look at what we can achieve with what we have, yeah. um, and I think that's where you know you want to find uh, you know a publicist who's transparent and upfront with you. And I think you know the biggest thing, and I think you know this, and and I think any entrepreneur kind of does is you have to go with your gut too. Like if you're not getting a good vibe, if you don't think you're a good fit, you know, not every publicist. There are great publicists that maybe are not perfect for every brand or a small brand or something like that. They might be more experienced with working with a, you know, a big corporate luxury house or something like that. So I think it's also finding the right fit for a publicist and, you know, you can certainly be scrappy in this industry. Um, You know, we don't, you don't have to send out 500 products. Does it help? Yeah, it does. (laughs) If we can't do that. Okay. But then the expectations kind of have to match what, where we are.
0: It has to adjust accordingly. Yeah, that Correct. makes sense. It's,
1: it's scalable, right? Like everything is kind of scalable.
0: Yep. It, can, it works in small and large doses, right? Yeah. For sure. What are your thoughts on, I think now more than ever, uh, a lot of uh, people are focused on their personal brand as an X. Maybe they don't have a product. They have no product, no goods. You know, maybe it's no real services. Maybe it's truly just like, I'm in, you know, XYZ. I've got 300,000 followers. And I want press for me, Jane Smith. What are your thoughts on personal publicity and that world for someone's personal brand?
1: I love it. And I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, Right? You know, I think, look, does it work? Can it work? Can it be helpful? Absolutely. I think the biggest thing is the consumer now and when i say consumer it can be someone buying a product or someone consuming media someone viewing a tiktok or you yeah. know viewing a bravo show i think the biggest thing for someone who wants to be a personality whether that's you know if that's a digital creator or whether that's an influencer or a tiktoker um, is is being authentic right yeah. and whatever you're whatever you're being authentic to like Whatever your your vibe is, whatever, you know, whatever your kind of story is, it's just being authentic to that. I think people can really see through that now, especially when there's such a saturated market of personalities, totally. yeah. um, you know, and I think that's why you've been so successful with what you have done and also how you scaled your own kind of your own personal brand, right? And I think that's another thing too, is if you are wanting to build a personal brand, I think you need to look at. Not necessarily your end goal, right? Because that can always evolve and change because Lord knows the industry is evolving and changing day to day. But you can't be short-sighted. You have to think about like, what is this going to look like, sound like, feel like? How is this going to age in a year? Because that's how quick things are now. I think
0: about that all the time. I actually go through and like randomly, you know, and like one of the social platforms will pop up like this memory of yours from 10 years ago. Yes, And I'll see it and I'm like, uh, delete. Yeah. <laughs> like what, yeah. what was I thinking? Wearing that or saying Correct. that or right. going and drinking that or whatever. Right. Um, right. where, cause now the cycle is so much more hypercritical and Absolutely. focused. Um, interesting. I like that. What brands do you think are killing it right now from a VR point of view?
1: The, what, what is great and also challenging is there are a lot of brands that are doing a lot of really, really great things. I think, um, you know, since, you know, you're very much in the menswear and lifestyle space, I think you can look at some of the iconic brands, right? Like, is diptyque ever not going to be doing well? Certainly not. I think it's interesting to see what uh Maison Francis Kurkdjian is doing kind of in that high end fragrance. Oh my god, I started around. wearing
0: that stuff like years ago, and now I feel like I may have to retire it. I feel like it's like the hottest it's brand. The of new the La Labo,
1: right? <laughs> right? It's the new then- La Labo. Like there's that life cycle too of even these like niche brands.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are blowing up. And I think we have social media to thank for that. Yep. Again, for better or worse, it's great for brands. Um, you know, it's not great for people I know, like you and I, who love to, you know, right. not smell like <laughs> everyone else in the room. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: I had to retire my Leilabo for that, for the right. Baccarat. And now I'm like, right. damn it, it's everywhere.
1: Right. Totally. Um, but again, to their credit, I think, you know, brands, brands like that. And, and, you know, you look at what diptyque has done in terms of like, who had does not have a repurposed diptyque vessel in their oh, apartment, like, like who doesn't have I... their Q-tips in a totally. diptyque jar, you yeah. know? So there's that, right. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's really interesting to see to a brand like Todd Snyder and what the champion collaboration. And now more recently the Yellow Beam collaboration has done for that brand to turn it from, you know, maybe a more insider brand, people certainly in the fashion industry, in the menswear space, people that were kind of, you know, maybe a little bit more conscious or knowledgeable about fashion were aware of yep. Todd Snyder. But I think now with the Champion collaboration and the fact that that has kind of become an evergreen collaboration that's happening every year, every season, mm. it's, you know, really amassed a more kind of mainstream uh, presence, which I think, again, you know, is great.
0: Do you think collaborations are still in um, yeah. for new brands? for new brands coming up? Do you think that's still an important tool?
1: I do. I think they have to be really well thought out. I think they have to make sense. I think what doesn't work is okay. And I'm going to, maybe I'll take that back a little bit. What can work is a, yeah. a, a completely unexpected collaboration, but you also have to be mindful because that's often sometimes the collaborations that like really don't make sense either. Like, yeah, you totally. want to surprise people, but like, do you, you don't want to surprise them so much that it just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But I think where collaborations are still impactful is, of course there's all the, the things, right? That you get two brands, consumer base and like all of that stuff. But yeah. also for someone like me, it's a it's an opportunity to sell something new to an editor. Like I'm always looking for and I don't want to say newness because I never want a brand to produce so much that they're that's all they're doing. I think there's something so great to be said for, you know, a brand that just still only launches like one seasonal collection or, yep. you know, different things like that, but you know, anytime I have something new to talk about to an editor, it's a great opportunity and obviously it lends itself to coverage potential.
0: Speaking of, and I'll show it because this is not on video and no one at home can see, but I'll send you one of these soon. <laughs> They're insane. I know. You guys, in I'm, showing, I'm showing, uh, I'm showing Joey a new piece of our collection, <laughs> um, but you're going to, your mind's going to be blown. Um, we're running out of time. And wow. I ask people some of these questions all the time. Do you have like a personal branding fail, a Joey fail or a co- corporate fail that, yeah. that ended up becoming a, a Joey blessing? Correct. A brand blessing. Absolutely.
1: I think when I first started consulting, I certainly bit off more than I could chew. Really? Um, yeah, I think- We all do you that. Know, yeah, exactly, right? Like it's not an uncommon fail and yeah. one that even as I was failing, I was like, you're not going to fail. This. You're yeah. not going to bite off more than you can chew. But, you know, especially coming from agency background, corporate background, I'm like, oh, I can do all this because I do all this. But then when it's just me, yeah. And I'm having to send out the press placements and I'm having to put together the weekly reports and do all the admin stuff. And, you know, it's not that I didn't think of that. I just didn't think of the actual timing and how that all works. And I think, you know, you can't be everything to everyone. So I think, you know, really taking on clients or or whatever your kind of branding is, really doubling down and engaging with brands, companies, people that you know you can be successful with. Um you know, I, I definitely think that was a foul, but also a blessing.
0: Well, it takes I mean, you're we're very similar people, um, and it takes a lot for me to like reject an opportunity, you exactly know? Like same. it would yeah. I would re- you know, so but I think there's a lot of importance in weight and weight in being like, you know what, it wouldn't it would serve both of both of us the wrong way if I said yes to this. So, totally. Totally. Um, And then my last question is, is there some sort of, it could be any brand ever. I just love this question. I love knowing. Is there any brand moment that you had at some point in your life that like still sticks with you? Like you're an interaction with a brand that like, whether it was good, bad, nostalgic, that you're just like stood out.
1: Yes. My very first. So I was like, you know, a little fashion boy from day one. Um, And I just remember my And took me to King of Prussia Mall outside Philadelphia, which was Uh, like, you know, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Took me to Neiman Marcus where you could valet at Neiman Marcus, which I just thought was the coolest thing ever. So chic. (sighs) So chic. And I, you know, I think I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12. uh, Certainly preteen. And my very first high-end, like over $100 purchase, which was obviously purchased for me, was this electric blue... Almost neoprene, which like very pre neoprene. Yeah. <laughs> Moschino electric polo shirt that just was super simple. Which obviously Moschino has gone on to not be very simple. Not at be all. so simple. <laughs> just had a little white square right here at the end of the polo placket that said Moschino, and that was it. That was like my first high end luxury fashion. Uh, Isn't it crazy? It's like I the wish people- I still had it.
0: I wish you did too. You could make a lot of fucking money off it probably know, if you sold it out. Anything 90s and Moschino right now, you'd totally. kill. <laughs> totally. I love yeah. asking that question because so many people have... And a lot of the answers I get are brands that we still like very much engage with today. And yeah. that's obviously another one that's really hot today. So clearly yeah. they're doing And then of course, hard.
1: like obviously like kind of like crazy, wow, nostalgic moments is like, you know, as kind of a little bit of a, of a traditionalist in a lot of ways. Like my first GQ placement was just like...
0: Yeah, Pro- probably like mind blowing. Yeah. Oh, my God.
1: My first time I went to like Vogue for a desk side and like went into the Vogue office. <gasps>
0: oh, yeah. Is it, yeah. I mean, like at when it was at four times square. Four times square. Yeah, that was the best. Yeah. Oh, my God. We could go on forever. Um, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> Joey, that was the most helpful conversation. I feel like so many great people that listen to our show have a great idea. They're ready to get out there. And I think this is one of the missing links. So I'm so glad yeah. you took time to chat with me today.
1: I'm so happy that you had me on. It was a and pleasure. And then I'll
0: call you offline and we'll talk shop.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> because... You're found... Lucky for you, you have access to me every day.
0: Totally. Um, <laughs> and best of luck with everything going on and happy new year. Thank you. You as well talk to you soon. For more on the show you can find us on Instagram at Brandme Podcast or at Preston Conrad. Be sure of course to rate review and subscribe and share on social. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next week.